What's up? How are you doing? Good. Yeah, How are you? Christmas and uh, holiday season. Um, also, yeah. I, I, what, what were you saying? I was saying same to you for Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. And um, obviously, and then now I'm telling I messaged you on Snapchat last night that you're officially going to be a weekly guest on my sports podcast each week. If that sounds good oh, to you, cool. Yeah, I, I missed that Snapchat, but uh, yeah, sounds good. And we'll talk about the NBA and NFL and uh, MLB each week when we we talk, and we'll 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 do this every week, like we said, like since we first met. And uh, mm-hmm. let's let's get this started. So it's another episode of the NBA, NFL, and MLB podcast with JD, um, who's obviously my guest each week, and we will talk about those. And um, first, we'll start off with. A week 16 recap and talk about the Patriots being motivated to beat the Buffalo Bills at, yeah, at their at- home and uh, talk about how you felt about it. And I thought it was a really good game for the Patriots. They came in motivated. They held the Bills to 12 points and the Patriots just are on their way to that first round by heading into uh, Sunday. Yeah, definitely. It was it was a good performance by the Patriots. There were certainly still some some things that concerned me. One big positive from the game, which I'm, I'm sure you noticed too, was the run game. The Patriots performed really well there with really any of their backs, whether it was Sony Michelle or Rex Burkhead or James White or even getting Cordero Patterson involved. I love seeing him run the jet sweep, and hopefully he's okay to go in week 17 or once the playoffs start. But I thought that was good. Tom Brady did struggle a little bit against this Buffalo secondary. And as far as getting receivers involved, uh, it, it was an interesting game plan. I mean, Gronk had zero catches and Hogan, I believe, had zero targets. I don't remember Brady throwing his way once, which was kind of surprising to me because I expected Hogan to really step in and be that guy who took over in some sense in Josh Gordon's absence. So that was that was an interesting move. And the defense played well, I think. They were helped out a little bit by Josh Allen. He made some rookie mistakes. Although one thing I was happy with, he didn't run the ball as well as I expected from Josh Allen, who comes in being one of the top rushing quarterbacks in the league since he came in and started. But uh, overall, I thought the team played well. It was a good performance. There are certainly some kinks they need to work out, which we'll see during the Jets game this coming week. But overall, I was happy with the performance. I was too, but I thought that Josh Allen made some rookie mistakes from what I saw, but Josh Allen... I think he can be a running quarterback, but I think Josh Allen could be more. I think he's more of a Jim Kelly type quarterback when I see him out, when I saw him out there. Yeah, absolutely. He, I obviously, I was watching the game with my grandfather. And one of the things I said to him who he didn't know Josh Allen too well. I'm like, this guy is going to frustrate you because there's going to be plays on third and seven, third and eight, when he's going to roll out and have no one open and run for that first down, which is something that I feel like, the Patriots have struggled against in the past with running quarterbacks, whether it be a guy like Deshaun Watson or someone like Patrick Mahomes, which is the big thing that I wanted to take away from this week is seeing the Patriots playing obviously more of a raw quarterback, but someone with a similar skill set to quarterbacks they'll be facing in the postseason. And I thought they did a good job. There were plays where if Josh Allen were a Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, I thought he would have made a little better. There were certainly some bad throws. He, has a great arm, but the accuracy isn't quite there yet with uh, with Allen. Josh Allen's accuracy is going to get there, but what I saw was my favorite play of that game was when Julian Edelman ran for that touchdown, even though the officials didn't even call him 
down. The play was not dead when Brady threw that pass to Edelman. And James White had a really good game. Sony Michelle had a decent game. And also, I wanted to get your take on how you felt about Josh Gordon leaving the Patriots and and deciding to step away from football to focus on his mental health. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly something that, like, I want to say in hindsight, it's kind of like you knew the day was going to come at some point, but you almost forgot about it a little bit over the past few months with Josh Gordon stepping in and playing so well right off the bat. You you really forgot about the off-the-field issues, and then all of a sudden it just hits you that day that he's going to be stepping away, focus on his mental health for the suspension again. And obviously I, I think it was the right move for him overall because I know addiction and, and mental health, very important that he needs to get those right in his life. And the, the sad thing is you were hoping when he came to the Patriots, it would, would help because the Patriots are the type of organization that while they've had their fair share of people with off the field issues at times, they're the type of organization that's going to keep an eye on you and try to keep you on the straight and narrow. And unfortunately it didn't quite work with Josh Gordon, but um, I do respect his decision to move away from football to focus on his mental health. And hopefully this isn't the final chapter in his football career, whether it's his final chapter with the Patriots or not uh, remains to be seen. And it definitely hurts this team overall going into the postseason um, because I mean, I know you get Josh Gordon, he helps you in these games in the regular season, but now you're missing him when you need him most. And I would have liked to know what the Patriots exactly knew on the situation. I heard some people talking. Maybe the Patriots did know a little more than they let on because even after they traded for Josh Gordon, they were still going out there and looking for wide receivers, whether it be someone like Golden Tate or Demarius Thomas at the trade deadline. So maybe they, they did know a little more than they were letting on. But overall, this Patriots team that Josh Gordon left is a lot different than the one he came to in that when he came, they had just about nobody on offense. You had Chris Hogan, and then your second receiver was either Cordell Patterson and Philip Dorsett. Patterson had yet to break out. Edelman wasn't back from his suspension yet. Um, You had Gronk there, too, obviously. Um, So now that this team has come together a little bit more, I think Brady does have more offensive weapons now than the team that Josh Gordon joined originally. Speaking of Brady, um, I heard this week, like I think yesterday, he said he wants to continue playing football beyond 2019, and he thinks he, he can. And do you see the Patriots using a priority this offseason to extending Tom Brady beyond his contract this, this offseason? Because he, he, he will enter the final year of his contract next year. So I think Tom Brady will get a contract extension done until his age 45 season. Is that going to happen at some point this offseason? Yeah, I could certainly see that happening. I think it's going to be a priority with the Patriots. And I expect if Tom Brady says he's willing to play and healthy enough to play, the Patriots will do everything in their power, give him whatever he wants to stay here for another few years. But the thing I'm most interested in is seeing what they do as far as the draft, because they certainly have holes to fill. And I'm sure regardless of whether they win the Super Bowl or not, or make it to the Super Bowl or whatever their postseason run ends up being, there, there's going to be holes that are going to be exposed in this team. Like, you're probably going to need to draft a wide receiver now that Josh Gordon's status is up in the air for the future, which was a position that you thought you had locked down. You may need to consider updating the defensive line or the secondary or something of that sort. But the Patriots also need to consider what they're going to do with quarterback 
And I know they're going to know more than they let on, as they usually do, but it'll be telling whether they draft a quarterback who's raw and needs a few years to develop, or if they draft a guy who's, say, 23 or 24 already and comes in pretty much NFL ready. So I tend to lean toward Brady being truthful in that he's going to play till 45. So I could see the Patriots maybe drafting a 21-year-old or something and giving him two or three years to develop, kind of like they plan to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. I kind of don't see the Patriots drafting a quarterback in the upcoming draft because this quarterback class is kind of weak. I kind of want to wait and see the Patriots for them to draft a quarterback until they know when Brady's going to retire. When Tom Brady's 45 and the minutes is last year, I could expect the Patriots to draft a, a quarterback in Brady's replacement that year. So as of right now, I think Tom Brady's going to play until he's 45, and I expect him to be playing next season and beyond. Absolutely, and I know he did struggle a little bit on Sunday, but if you look at it, even in the Patriots' two losses the previous weeks, he's still playing at a very high level for a 41, 42-year-old, and maybe he's going into a little bit of a decline, but he's still the player right now that gives you the best chance to win at quarterback, regardless of if you draft a quarterback in April. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and. Talking about when the Patriots play the Jets, this is round two of this game, um, we'll, as we'll touch on later. I'm looking forward to seeing when Tom Brady faces against the future face of the Jets franchise and Sam Darnold, because I think Sam Darnold has the, the potential to be a great quarterback. The last time the Patriots played the Jets, Sam Darnold had a foot injury. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I think if you look at Sam Darnold, yes, he came out as a highly touted prospect. Uh, people rightfully thought he could be drafted number one overall instead of a guy like Baker Mayfield. Didn't happen. And you can say he hasn't shown as much flash as some of these other guys like Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson, who've been drafted and are rookies this year. But he was arguably put in the worst situation of any of these guys with the least amount of talent around him. And just looking at what they did against the Packers last week, I mean, 24-35 for 341 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's, that's a pretty good game if you're Sam Darnold, a rookie in a, in a game against Aaron Rodgers, who's one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Darnold's only a 21-year-old kid who has a bright future. And I, I think that this offseason, as we'll talk about after football season, in our podcast is we'll talk about the NFL offseason and what will be good for the Patriots, which players, which free agents would be fitting the Patriots and what their needs are. And, and looking at who the Patriots should look to draft in the upcoming draft, which I don't think the Patriots should use a court should draft a quarterback in the upcoming draft class. Cause of, cause it's very weak, but yeah, real Greer is I, the guy that stands out to me. Oh, because I think Will Greer is very raw, good arm, but Justin Herbert from Oregon is not going to be in the draft, from what I heard. Yes, that came down yesterday that he is going to forego the NFL draft and wait till the following season, which, I mean, now that you think about it, if you are a Patriots fan, it depends on what, you, what you're looking for as far as a quarterback. Because I will say, the one thing that this year's draft has, despite not having much high-end talent at quarterback, is it has depth. You're going to... If you're the Patriots, you may be able to take a chance on a guy in the late second round or the third round or something like that as far as quarterbacks go. Whereas next season, you get into – you have Justin Herbert now returning to school, so he'll be another year. And his draft class will include him, Tua Tagovailoa, 
and Jake Fromm, three quarterbacks who could, depending on needs, go one, two, three in the draft that year. So this year, the one thing I will say is it has the potential for quarterbacks to still be available when the Patriots pick. At this point, I could see maybe only one or two quarterbacks being off the board by the time the Patriots pick in probably Dwayne Haskins will definitely be off the board from Ohio State. And then you look at maybe one other guy like Daniel Jones or potentially Will Greer now that those guys have slotted up a step considering Herbert was arguably one of the top two quarterback prospects with Dwayne Haskins. Oh, I could see that. But um, also um, looking at looking at the coaches who are going to be fired after week 17, people are talking about after week 17 game between the Patriots and Jets. They think Todd Bowles is going to be fired. Do you see the Jets making a change at a head coach? Although it's not going to be Jim Harbaugh. That's for sure. That's not going to happen. I don't see the Jets hiring Jim Harbaugh as their new no. coach if they decide to move on from Todd Bowles. But I could see if the Jets decide to fire Todd Bowles, do you see the Jets hiring a minded head coach? I would have to think so. I mean, they, they do have talent on the defensive side, as we mentioned, I think, the last time the Patriots played the Jets. But it's a very raw, young, offensive core. I mean, they do have some good pieces in place, especially led by Sam Darnold. So I'd like to see someone come in and be able to to mold him into a quarterback of the future because especially last week, he has shown flashes of being a potential franchise quarterback for this team. Oh, I, well, that's what I saw too on tape. And um, I think John D. Filippo, who used to be the Vikings offensive coordinator is a strong candidate to replace Bowles as the uh, head coach of the New York jets. Yeah. I mean, if you're John D. Filippo, I think everybody looked at him coming into the season. He was kind of a hot name and it, fell off a little bit as the Vikings offense struggled. But I think what you've seen in the week since he's been fired is that he wasn't the problem on offense. The offense it just isn't functional. They have so much talent. They have Cousins and Cook and Diggs and Thielen, but it, it's just not coming together for that team, regardless of he's, if, if he's there or not. So I th- the Vikings' lack of offensive resurgence after Filippo's firing makes him still a hot candidate for teams. And I, I like that call. I could see him going to the Jets. Yeah, but the Jets wouldn't still be that good. But I think that they could really build, get some receivers around Sam Donald. And um, also um, later in the episode, we'll talk about games to look forward to in week 17. But also in the meantime, we'll talk about some baseball and uh, tell me about the reaction of what you felt about the Dodgers trading Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp to the Reds. Was this a good trade for the Dodgers? I want to say overall it was. I mean, I'm obviously not as connected to the Dodgers as you, but from an outside perspective, it does make sense. We were talking about on the show last week, they have six or something outfielders like that. They have Bellinger, they have Taylor, they have Peterson, they had Puig, and they had Kemp, and Verdugo was going to be coming up. So something had to give at some point. I, I know there's guys who may be willing to step into a platoon role, but overall, if you have six or seven outfielders, you're going to have to trade some of them. I was just surprised the magnitude of the deal packaging them together. But overall, I think it was a good move for the Dodgers. And Hey, if it does lead to a guy like Bryce Harper coming to LA, then it, I would say it was totally worth it. I don't think Bryce Harper is a glaring need for the Dodgers. I know the Cubs are now entered the mix to, to sign Bryce Harper. The Cubs don't have a lot of space like money 
to, mm-hmm. to sign him because they ha- they still have Jason Hayward's bad contract eat up eating up their salary. But I also think if the Cubs could find a way to trade Jason Hayward, that could really open the door for them to sign Bryce Harper. But I don't see any takers taking Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward hasn't been that good offensively, but the Cubs still want to keep Hayward around because of his defense. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the premier defensive outfielders in the game, and I'm sure if you get a team that's desperate enough, and even if you have to eat some of the contract, it's it's certainly a move that has potentially made. I just see here they have maybe the Giants as a candidate, and the Giants I don't know so much about in terms of them needing an outfielder. Well, I know they need an outfielder, but as we've talked about before, they have so many large contracts on their team from guys who aren't necessarily performing too well. So I don't know if they'd like to take on a guy who struggles on offense like Jason Hayward. But, I mean, overall, the the power numbers have, have dipped a little bit. And I think that's a little bit to be expected. But, I mean, four gold gloves in the last five years, he's certainly one of, still one of the premier defensive outfielders. And if he can just keep hitting for average, he's, he's a quality player to keep around. Yeah, I don't think the Cubs could move around some space to keep to get Bryce Harper because I'm going to still stick to the uh, prediction that I talked to you about last week was Bryce Harper and Manny Machado still teaming up together the White Sox because the Chicago White Sox have the money to sign both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And as we talked about last week, they have a great young core that these guys knowing that they're signing 10-year contracts will be able to look toward the future and see maybe we're not going to compete right away, but we're going to be a powerhouse team in three or four years. And actually I'm just looking here, Bryce Harper Maybe on Bryce Harper online, it's maybe making that look a little more likely, or at least one team could be falling out of the sweepstakes in hearing that Machado and Harper don't particularly like the idea of playing for Philadelphia. So the Phillies, who wanted at least one of these two guys, have been building toward it for a couple years now, saving money to load up for this big offseason, now probably going to lose out on their two big targets. Yeah, because the Phillies have McCutcheon anyway, so the Phillies are going to be fine with what they have. And also, talk about what the Marlins, their situation is with JT Rio Muto. Um, the Dodgers are still in in the mix for Rio Muto, but I don't see the Dodgers trading for Rio Muto because the Dodgers want to find a free agent catcher of their own, like a free agent catcher on a one-year deal. I think the Astros will be a, would, be, would make sense for JT Rio Muto. Yeah, the Astros would be a good move. And I know I said this last week, but it's crazy when you talk about a team like the Astros that's as talented as they are, and they still have both the money and the prospects to be able to continue to upgrade their team, uh, where they've just been drafting so strong for so long and have developed some good prospects. So they certainly have the ammunition to go out there and get Real Muto. He fits a need for that team and may do uh, may play a part in putting them over the top in a tightly contested American League. But the whole JT Real Muto sweepstakes, if his asking price is going to be too high, you're probably going to see a lot of teams start to call maybe a team like the Red Sox, knowing that the Red Sox could use a cheap reliever or something, but they have three catchers, and one of them is probably going to have to go. And if the price is certainly going to be cheaper than Real Muto, maybe teams turn to a team like the Red Sox with a surplus of catchers and force the Marlins' hand to bring down that price. Yeah, I, I could see that, but I see the Astros making the deal to get Real Muto, but... I also think the Astros still have the money to keep Dallas Keuchel, but also I'm hearing that Di- Dallas Keuchel is could could be heading to the Reds. Yeah, that would be 
that would be a fun move, I would say. The Reds, in like the last year or so, they've let Billy Hamilton go, but they, they had Matt Harvey for a stint. And now they have Yasiel Puig, and they have Matt Kemp, and they could potentially be adding Dallas Keuchel. So I'd say they're a fun young team. I feel like they're kind of stuck in a little bit of, I don't know how you say it, a little bit of a, a gray area with this team. They're not going to be contenders, regardless of if they get Keuchel in a division like the NL Central with the Cubs and now the much-improved Cardinals and the Brewers and even the Pirates. But the, the pieces are there, whether you look at Eugenio Suarez, Scooter Jeanette, Joey Votto, make up a pretty good infield. And then you add Puig and you add Kemp to the outfield. They have a good catcher in Tucker Barnhart. Really, pitching is their their biggest need now that they've add, they, they've also added, though, Tanner Rorick and Alex Wood in that Dodgers trade. So they're they're building up their team a little bit. So if they could get Dallas Keuchel, they, they'd be a fun little team to watch this year. I think so, but now what I'm hearing, there's another topic that I'm hearing. Corey, the Padres are now in the mix to trade for Corey Kluber. Do you see the either the Padres or the Reds trading for Kluber? Because I think the Dodgers are out of Corey Kluber's sweepstakes. Yeah, I think rightfully they should be. The Dodgers may be saving up and making those trades for a different target than a guy like Corey Kluber. I don't think he necessarily fills a need for them. But a team like the Padres, the thing that concerns me a little bit is, I mean, Kluber's 32, 33. He's getting up there in age. So you have a, a type of young team like the Padres. Yes, you're going to need a pitcher in the rotation, and someone like Kluber would certainly help. He'd be the instant ace on that team. But he he's 32, he's 33. By the time this team becomes a contender, he's not going to be in his prime anymore. So I, I don't know how much the move makes sense. I would rather see them deal for a guy like Trevor Bauer, who has a few more years left in his prime, just because the Padres – are going to be a team that's building toward the future. Yeah, I, from what I'm hearing, the Padres are willing to give up Manny Margot to get Kluber. Do you, do you think that trade makes sense? But also I heard that they have made Fernando Tatis unavailable in trade talk, which I think he's off limits when it comes to the Padres making those trades. Yeah, Tatis is obviously one of the top two, three prospects in the game. So he's certainly worth holding on to. The Manny Margot one, I mean, I'm a little hesitant on. I think he's got gold glove caliber defense. See what he can give you as far as hitting goes. I mean, I wish I could give you a better scouting report that I would have had more time to have seen him with the Red Sox, but unfortunately he never made it up to the big club before getting traded for Craig Kimbrell. But, I mean, just looking at his stats here, the offensive numbers, especially the average, aren't quite there yet. But he does provide you gold glove defense and – I believe a little bit of speed too. So he's certainly a guy that you'd love to hold on to. And in this type of situation, I would say they could make him available. I just wouldn't make him available for Kluber because like I said, it's kind of almost a lateral move. You're foregoing some of your future for some of the present, but if you're the Padres, you're a team that regardless of what you do, you're building toward the future because you have these young guys in Tatis and Urias and Margot. So these guys just need a couple more years to develop. And if they could get a younger pitcher, maybe um, that would be worth looking at. And at the same time, as we mentioned last week, they have three or four really good young pitchers who are coming up. And I know not all those guys are going to pan out, but just looking at their farm system, they, they have potential for a whole starting rotation down on the farm right now 
with some of the guys they have. So I don't know how much I like the idea of them going after Kluber. Um, I definitely think Cleveland's still looking to explore trading him. I could see him ending up somewhere else, but the Padres, I just don't like the fit too much. I I would agree with that, but I think he should go to the Reds because I think the Reds have the prospects to trade for Kluber, and I think Kluber could really help the Reds out in some way. But if the Padres want to trade for a starting pitcher, I would think the best route to go is to go to Trevor Bauer because Bauer could really help that rotation out. I mean, the Padres won't have to give up that give up a lot for Trevor Bauer. Absolutely. And, and for Bauer, the thing that concerns you is he doesn't have as much of a proven track record as a guy like Corey Kluber. But last season, you can't argue with the success. 221 strikeouts, a 2.2 ERA. Um, so certainly a phenomenal season for him last season. And like I said, the thing that concerns you the most is the ERA. The three seasons before that, his ERA was in the fours. So you have to see whether it's a little bit of an aberration or not. But his asking price should certainly be a, a little lower than Kluber's. And he's younger, so he can develop and be a part of this Padres team, if he were to go there, when they're starting to have success. Yeah, I think that that's the move, I think. I think if, if you want to give – I think the Padres might want to move on from Austin Hedges because they got young catchers in their organization that they like. I think the, the Cleveland Indians need a catcher, so might as well make, pull the trigger. Get, get Austin Hedges in that deal for Trevor Bauer, and then the Padres could give up some prospects, but not all. Yes, absolutely. Um, the Padres, if they were – to want to do it, they certainly do have, as we mentioned, the depth of pitching prospects to be able to go out there and make a deal. It just depends if they want to hold on to them. And I don't know how much of the future you want to mortgage for the present, because obviously you're not a team that is going anywhere in the obviously, present. Obviously, Garrett Richards is not going to be playing this year. He's going to be, he'll be back sometime next year, though. Yeah. And maybe that's a move that works out for them, kind of like it does with, uh, like Nathan Avaldi did for the Rays and later the Red Sox, a guy you signed for a few years knowing you're not going to get much, if anything, out of him this year, but you're you're signing him for the future a little bit. And Garrett Richards is, I think, I know he's 30. He'll be coming back from injury. Um, he'll be 31. But I think it's a very savvy signing. Like, you look at his ERA over the past five years, his highest ERA has been 3.65. So he's been consistently good, hasn't got much airtime out there, out in L.A., uh, with the Angels, uh, I mean, I know here he hasn't. I'm sure there where you are, you've seen him a little more just being in the area. But I think it's a it's a smart deal on on Padres' part. I can, for for who I think the the Trevor, who I think the Trevor Bauer should be traded to. I think I think he should go. I think he should be traded to the Angels because I think the Angels could give up on Andrew Haney and Tyler Snags because the Angels need an ace. Yes, they most certainly do. And, I feel like you were kind of hoping for a little bit that Garrett Richards was going to be that. And he was consistently good, but he always ended up being that more number two, number three type starter. And from an Angels perspective, your window is now. You have Mike Trout in the prime of his career. And you have great complimentary pieces, whether it be Zach Cozart or Andrew Elton Simmons, Justin Upton, Cole Calhoun, and Shohei Otani. I know he won't be Or David Fletcher. David Fletcher, too. Um, so some great pieces there, and I know they signed Matt Harvey and Justin Bohr, so some interesting pickups for them in the offseason there. Um, and I think they're a team that 
should go all in for now because you're Mike, you're Mike Trout's team. You've got him to one postseason in his career. He's never won a playoff game, I don't believe. So y- you really got to do something to market the best player in, in the game, arguably. I think the Angels trade for Trevor Bauer, and I think the the Angels will give up a couple of their outfield prospects since I think the Indians need outfielders. And I think and I think that would be a pretty good trade and also give up a, a current guy on the roster, like a guy like Andrew Haney to the Indians. So because I think with the Cleveland Indians, I think who the ace now is, if Corey Kluber or Trevor and Trevor Bauer get both traded at the same time, Carlos Carrasco is their ace. Oh, he has to be. And, and even though those guys are still there right now, he's a guy that they're clearly buying into as part of the present and future of this team, signing him to an extension already this offseason and taking his name hard off trade talks while keeping Kluber's and Bauer's open. It's it's a great rotation for this team. I know Danny Salazar's fallen off a little bit lately, but he really contributed to a good rotation in the past for this team. But if you look at Cleveland, that was the strong suit of this team, and now they're transitioning to a little more of uh, an offensive-heavy team, bringing back Carlos Santana and getting Jake Bowers to play first base, having Kipnis, Lindor, Ramirez. So, or Santana. Arguably, he could play both. He could DH, and he could play first. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Those two guys could split time first in DH and arguably the best left side of the infield in baseball with Lindor and Ramirez. So, and a good good bullpen as well with uh, Brad Hand in there closing and Adam Simber. So the rotation, I'm surprised Cleveland's making all these trades. I kind of expected the trades that they already made, like dealing Encarnacion, was to save money so that they were able to keep guys in the starting rotation. So it is a little shocking to me to see them still marketing Kluber and Bauer. So you what... think so you think Bauer and Kluber will be traded this offseason? I'm I'm saying I'm surprised that the Indians are doing it. I think they should keep them. I don't know what their financial situation is, and I thought that the trades they made earlier in the offseason were so that they could save up money to keep these guys because I know you have Carlos Carrasco, but if you trade one or both of those guys, I don't know how much you have after that. You have Clevenger and you have Bieber and maybe Salazar if he's back from injury. But there's not as much reliability as you have from a guy like Corey Kluber. Um, I mean, if I were them, I would almost rather trade Bauer because Kluber just gives you more consistency on an every-year basis. He's a little older, but he fits with the Indians' window. And Bauer... It doesn't have that proven track record. As I mentioned, his ERA has been over four each of the last few seasons before this season. So maybe you try to deal him where his value is at an all-time high. Yeah, I think Kluber stays with the Indians now, and I think Bauer will get traded. And I think the Angels will be a, a tra- destination for Trevor Bauer to be an Angel. And I also heard a developing story about if the Red Sox could trade Craig Kimbrell. I heard that he could take a less de- – a less a le- he could take on less money to return to the Red Sox. Do you think that could happen? I think so it could happen. Yeah, I think it certainly could happen, but I'm, I will say it'll happen if it does under these circumstances. Craig Kimbrell's asking for a six-year deal. No one in baseball is going to give him that. If they do, good luck to them. I mean, Kimbrell is a great closer, but I can't justify giving him six years. So I think the Red Sox are more just playing the waiting game and Kimbrell won't return to the Red Sox on a short 
long-term deal or team-friendly deal because he's choosing to. I think it'll be more because the market doesn't develop for him because his asking price was a little too high. And from the Red Sox, um, I think what they got to do, they do need to sign one reliever, um, hopefully for lesser money. If they can get a guy, I'd love to see them get a guy like Adam Adovino. Um, So I know the Rockies are open to bringing him back, but today it was made known that the Red Sox and the White Sox are continuing to show interest in him. I think he'd be a great fit to this bullpen. I thought Andrew Miller would be before he signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. But I think there's certainly a chance that Kimbrell returns, but it's only under those circumstances where no team offers him his six-year deal. So he returns to the Red Sox on, say, a three- or a four-year deal, and the Red Sox just give him kind of like a shrugging-your-shoulders type of deal, like, oh, nobody offered you anything, so we'll give you something. And then he, he takes that. I think that could happen, but I also wanted to ask about what the Red Sox plan at first base is. Do you think Michael Chavis, the guy you've been talking about, is going to make the opening day roster as the starting first baseman over Mitch Marlin? I don't. I certainly see that being the case in 2020. Uh, I think you have Moreland and you have Pierce, who are pretty much locked into split time at first base this year. One place where I could see Michael Chavis potentially slotting in is at second base if Dustin Pedroia isn't able to come back from his injury. I'm hoping, and I think he will be able to. But if he's not, I did read that some people think Chavis could form into the type of like Dan Ugla role out at second base, originally a third baseman, but a bigger body who can also play second base. So I think that has potential for him. And he could crack the roster just based on his versatility, depending on what the Red Sox do. Because uh, I've heard rumors that if they are going to make a trade, most people agree that it'll be one of the catchers to go. But some people are throwing out Brock Holt's name, where his value is at an all-time high, too, kind of similar to Trevor Bowers. And the Red Sox may be able to save a little money and bring up a different guy to play that utility role. But I don't personally agree with that. I think Holt is one of the heart and soul type of guys of this team. He's the glue that keeps it together, and I'd, I'd just be sad to see him go. So I don't think that'll happen, but I can certainly see Chavis being called up at some point just based on his versatility because if a second baseman or a first baseman or a third baseman gets hurt, he could slide in to be that backup type and play a few days here and there. But I don't think overall he'll make the opening day roster. Yeah, you're saying is that Chavis is going to get some time in AAA, but you see him as the first baseman of the future for the Boston Red Sox. I do, potentially. Or at least I see him as in. If Moreland doesn't resign, Chavis starts at first, and then you bring Steve Pierce back on another one-year deal so that he could still play for his hometown Red Sox. Mm -hmm. No, that... That's certainly a move I'd be open to doing. I think it is absolutely the the final year for at least one of Moreland and Pierce on this team, if not both. Both have been phenomenal in their Red Sox career, but it's just going to be a position where I think the Red Sox will be needing to save money and bringing up a rookie like Chavis to play first base certainly helps ease that burden. And I love Mitch Moreland. I love Steve Pierce. But if they free up enough money to help you bring back, say, both Jackie Bradley and Xander Bogarts next year, it's certainly something you have to consider, even if it means putting a rookie like Michael Chavis at first base. If I were Dave Dombrowski, I think the Red Sox were – I think the Red Sox are going to save money to uh, for Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley, and Xander Bogarts for ex- – 
I don't see Bradley Jr. and Bogarts leaving the Red Sox because they're key to the Red Sox team. Benintendi, I think, is a guy that's going to definitely be a big part of what the Red Sox are doing in the future, along with Bradley and Bats and Bogarts. Martinez, I think, will come back on a one-year, on a two-year deal next year, since I think he'll opt out and come back to the Red Sox. Yeah, I agree with that. I I agree with Martinez, and the Red Sox certainly do have some some decisions to make. I mean, next year, looking at it, they have Chris Sale and Rick Porcello coming up. They'll have Moreland, Nunez, Pierce, um, as well as Holt. Bogarts will officially become a free agent, and I believe Jackie should be too. I'm just looking for his name here. Jackie will actually be in one more year of arbitration, but still Xander and Chris Sale will be the two guys you look to them signing next season. You have Pablo Sandoval's money will come off the books next year, so that saves you a little money to go out and sign one of these guys. I don't believe Rick Porcello will be back. I think the Nathan Evaldi signing was so you can have these two guys for one year and then you let Porcello go next season unless he is able to come back on a team-friendly deal, which maybe he is open to because he's not that Cy Young guy that you saw from him a couple years ago. And with Porcello, he has a good relationship with Dave Jombrowski. Yes, played with him with the Tigers and good good friendship with some of the guys on this team. I mean, there's a lot of former Tigers on this team, so Porcello's played with David Price and J.D. Martinez, and he's comfortable playing with these guys. And he's the type of guy... What you saw from him a few years ago, the Cy Young season, it it was an aberration. You're not going to get that from him. But his best quality is that regardless, he's going to go out there every fifth day, give you seven innings, three runs, give you a chance to win just about every game you're in. So he's certainly that type of number three, number four starter that you'd love to have around. But if you're the Red Sox, I just can't justify it at the $21 million he's making right now. If he wants to take a team-friendly deal, I'd certainly love to have him back. I think the Red Sox will – I think the priority for the Red Sox next offseason is is to re-sign Xander Bogarts. I don't see the Red Sox losing Bogarts because Bogarts is the shortstop of the future for the Red Sox. And Bogarts is definitely going to be a guy that I think is going to be a key to the Red Sox success for yes, a long time. Absolutely. And I was actually talking about it with my uncle a few days ago, and I'm a little young to remember it, but the Red Sox really struggled finding a shortstop after trading Nomar. I know they won the World Series without him, but there were so many different shortstops that they went through from the trade in 2004 until Xander Bogarts came up in 2013 and really took over as the starting shortstop in 2014. So pretty much a decade of of really struggling to find a shortstop. And if you're the Red Sox, I wouldn't want to let that go. I would say Chris Sale, for my money, would be priority 1A, 1A. You can put him and Bogarts in the same uh, category there. Those are the top two priorities for the Red Sox next offseason. Regardless, Chris Sale, I would say, is a little more pressing because he is one of the premier pitchers in the game of baseball. And he's a position – he pitches in a position of weakness for the Red Sox. They don't have another ace or type guy like that. They don't have a guy in the farm system who can become that. Whereas Xander Bogarts, I would not want to lose him. I'd want to keep him at all costs. But I would say they go for Chris Sale first, Xander Bogarts second, because I think they could keep Xander Bogarts on more of a team-friendly deal than some people expect, just because Bogarts, to me, is one of the most overlooked players in baseball because there's so many other young, good shortstops, whether it be Lindor or Correa or Andrelton Simmons or Alex Bregman, even, if he slides over shortstop at times. So... You have guys a good like, third baseman. 
he is a good third baseman. And if you were to ever play shortstop, I don't know why I said that, but potentially uh, there are so many good young players on that side of the infield. And Xander was kind of surpassed by Mookie and Benintendi as the guys who steal the headlines on this team from the young core. So people are overlooking Bogarts, but he provides a ton of value to this team. His defense has improved immensely in his last two, three years in the league. And he's a consistent 300 hitter with when healthy. And he provided you finally the home run power that you were hoping for from this guy with 23 home runs this season. So I would love to be able to keep him. He's one of my favorite players on this team. One of the more consistent all around players. And as I've been mentioning, he hasn't garnered those headlines, but he's a consistent everyday player. You know what you're going to get from him. And he, he helps this team win. Yeah, I could agree more about uh, Xander Bogarts, but also with the Dodgers looking for a short-term catcher, I have Jonathan Lucroy on my radar to be on the Dodgers on a one-year deal until two of the young catchers I talked about in Will Smith and Kieber Ruiz already. Um, I think it's going to be between Jonathan Lucroy, who can give you offense with against or Martin Maldonado, who's a little bit who's good at both offense and defense, and has a good arm that could get runners out when they steal bases. If you talk about those two catchers that I think the Dodgers should target. Yeah, I mean, Maldonado, certainly a quality catcher all around. And Lucroy, I know he was kind of a, a big-name catcher with the Rockies, kind of in a similar JT Real Muto situation a few years ago before being dealt to the Rangers and bounced around a little bit, gone to the A's, gone to uh, – he was with the Brewers, I said, gone to the A's. And all that type of stuff. I mean, with Milwaukee. Sorry, I forgot he was a stud catcher with Milwaukee. I was thinking Colorado. But you had that similar JT Real Muto type of year. At one of the best catchers in the game. Actually finished fourth in MVP voting, it looks like, in 2014. But he's, his numbers have dipped a little bit. But I think overall, he is still a quality catcher. He's not going to give you the same offensive numbers you got before. But either one of those catchers on a type of short-term deal... I think would be great for the Dodgers so that those two young catchers can get another year or so of development before taking over as the starter. Like the thing is, Kiebert Ruiz has yet to hit, hit ha, has yet to get an at bat at AAA. Will Smith has been kind of struggling, but needs a little bit more time in AAA. But I'm kind of open to the Dodgers either signing one of the two in uh, Luke or Maldonado. But I'm kind of leaning towards if the Dodgers don't want Luke Hor, because I'm hearing the Tigers might want to get Luke Hor. I'm kind of thinking Martin Maldonado's the ticket for the Dodgers right now. Yeah, I mean, Maldonado has certainly been a quality catcher in this league. His offensive numbers aren't aren't always there, but having seen him in the Astros series this past year for the Red Sox, he is one of the premier defensive catchers in the game. So if you're a team like the Dodgers and maybe you just focus on one of those two. Either you get a really good offensive catcher, you get a really good defensive catcher. And I would tend to lean, having seen the Red Sox the past years, I tend to lean toward a more defensive catcher like Martin Maldonado because you saw what the Red Sox did. If pitchers love throwing to him, it makes everyone around him better. The pass balls and thrown out runners are huge, especially when it comes to tight games in the postseason. And really any offense he can give you at any time, even if it's not much, can pay dividends because you know you're getting a quality effort behind the plate from him every day. So I would tend to lean more toward Maldonado, um, especially if he seems to be the guy who's more available. Um, But I do agree with signing one of those guys to a a type of one-year deal. 
Yeah, with Maldonado, I really like the way he swings the bat really good, and his defense is off the charts really good. If you if the Dodgers want to go with Maldonado, I think the Dodgers should target Maldonado because they're thin it with right-handed bats, and most of their lineup will consist of left-handed bats. Just one more right-handed bat for the Dodgers, and I think that'd be a catcher that hits right-handed. And the Dodgers lineup should be set. Yeah, definitely. And I think for Maldonado, I hadn't really seen too much of him before the series the Red Sox played against Houston. But the the funny thing I remember going into it, even though I didn't know too much about him at the time, was people were like, oh, who has the better defensive catching in this series? And I'm like, wow, this kid must be really good on defense that they're saying he may have an edge over Christian Vasquez and Sandy Leon, who I've seen from my personal experience are the best defensive catching duo in baseball. So to put this guy in similar breath as those guys, I certainly trust his defensive catching ability. And it plays such a huge role with all these pitchers starting to go to personal catchers and people talking about like catchers ERA and all that stuff. So the importance of catchers, especially on the defensive side has been magnified more than ever. I think he would, he would be a great fit. You're, I would agree with Maldonado being a great fit for the Dodgers, but I think it'll be a matter of when, when the Dodgers would want to sign Maldonado. And also there's another developing story with the Padres that I'm kind of learning just about now that <laughs> the Padres might also want to consider trading for Marcus Stroman. Do you think he could make sense for the Padres as the Blue Jays want to shift to rebuilding? Yeah, I think Stroman is certainly the type of guy that should be on the trade block, whether or not he goes to the Padres or not. Um, it will be interesting to see Stroman. I mean, looking at his numbers, 554 ERA last year, but he's, he's still young. He still has potential. I would personally rather see the Padres go for a guy like him than Corey Kluber, just because again, he fits with their window. I don't want the Padres mortgaging too much of their future to get a guy like Corey Kluber, who's going to be 36 or 37 by the time this team's ready to compete. I also don't necessarily agree with this fit so much because if you're going to go give up some high picks, uh, high, highly touted prospects for a guy like Marcus Stroman, you're going to need a little more consistency, which is the same hang-up I have kind of with a guy like Trevor Bauer. Both of them are the right age for this Padres team to come in and help and be an instant one or two starter, but the consistency is just not there. Bauer had one great season, and Stroman, his ERAs in the past few years, three and one and four then three and then 5.5 this year. So he's been hit or miss lately. And I just don't want, again, the Padres giving up too much for a guy who, who can be inconsistent. I, and I don't know if there is a solution out there for them on the trade market. They'll have to see how it develops. I certainly think the Padres should look after a pitcher if the price is right, if the pitcher is a good fit, but just most of these guys right now that they've been in, involved in talks with, just haven't seemed like the right fit to me. I just don't. I kind of. I kind of don't think the, the the Padres will trade for Marcus Stroman because I think Marcus Stroman would really be a good fit for this up and coming young core, the Toronto Blue Jays. Because what I see, what the Blue Jays depth chart is going to look like at third base, I see them going with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base because I think this guy is ready to hit the bigs and be a guy that's going to be a good power hitter that I when I saw his dad play his dad was a tremendous power hitter and I can't and I want to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the bigs already and it's also next to Yuli Gurriel's brother Luis Gurriel Jr. 
Yes, absolutely. The Blue Jays, I feel like, I mean, I'm obviously going to get to see them a lot being in the American League East. And now that now that you say that, I, I may change my opinion. I kind of see, I would like to see Stroman stay with this team. I know they're going into full rebuild mode, but he's young enough and he's the type of guy that they could mold into a number one or number two starter for this team. And he's certainly shown flashes of it in the past. The consistency just hasn't been there. But now you're not asking him to be that number one or number two starter as a 23-year-old for a team playing in the postseason. You're asking yeah, especially him, Aaron Sanchez, who's also coming back from injury. Aaron Sanchez went healthy. He's a guy that has ace-like stuff. Absolutely. And, and these guys can work through this rebuild and hopefully come out on the other side better for it. This Blue Jays team is the type of team that if you look at it, they're going nowhere right now. And they're a shell of their former selves from a few years ago. But the potential is clearly there with some of these young guys, whether it be Vlad Guerrero Jr., who I know everyone in the whole world is excited to watch play baseball when he comes up to the bigs. You have Bo Bichetti, you have Kevin Biggio, all, all also kids of former major leaguers and all people who are going to write a story in their own right. So that's going to be a pretty good infield in the future. And you even look at a guy like Danny Jansen, who's going to be their starting catcher potentially this season, who's the number three prospect in the system. I expect the Blue Jays to go with two rookies this year because I think um, at third base is going to be Vlad Guerrero Jr. And then Danny Jansen is going to be the, the starting catcher. And I think Russell Martin will be the guy to back, to back up Kenley, uh, Danny Jansen, who I'm obviously familiar with Russell Martin during his time with the Dodgers. And I've liked Russell Martin during his time with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Martin was great in his prime and one of the better catchers in baseball I would say during that time but his time has passed and I'm I think he'd be better suited as a backup right now especially if you get a young guy like Danny Jansen for this rebuilding team to come in and provide them with quality time at catcher and develop because like we said the Blue Jays don't have much uh, potential for the 2019 season so it's just getting these young guys developing and for a team that's probably going to finish below 500 depending on who they call up, they're certainly going to be an exciting team to watch with some of these young guys. Oh, absolutely. I think one of those guys have, has Joey Bats in them, and I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to debut on opening day. That's what I predict. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I, I'd love to see him as soon as possible. And I was trying to get up. He played for the uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cats a little bit for AA. I was going to try to get up and go see him. Uh, but unfortunately, he got called up to AAA a little too fast for me to get up there um but he's a guy i know can mash the ball and i agree with you i agree with the joey bats comparisons uh especially for team where joey bats really found his power stroke in the blue jays and this could be the reinvention of a a team that has been while they've had success they they've been pretty stagnant for the last 20 years and i'm excited to see what the future holds for them not from a red sox perspective because i don't want them to knock us down a peg, but uh, as a baseball fan, I'm excited. Same here, but also uh, when we do our, our MLB preview for when we when it gets after the Super Bowl, then we'll talk about in that episode the five teams that you and I are both excited to watch, but we'll also look closely throughout the offseason and what these teams do and what and what and we'll make those predictions when that time gets closer. But you also said earlier you really like how the Mets are having a good offseason. They've had a very productive offseason, and I think the Mets are going to surprise everybody this offseason. I do. I think the Mets are the type of team that could step in and 
you certainly see the potential that's there with them. And they came out of the gates, guns blazing last year, one of the best records in baseball. I love the young core they have with Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo and guys like that. And obviously one of the premier rotations in the game, one of the best one-two punches in DeGrom and Syndergaard. And then you round out with Wheeler, Mats, and Vargas. I love the pickup of Edwin Diaz and Robbie Cano, who I know coming back from the suspension, but I think the Mets got him for a good price and he can still be a consistent 300 hitter in my opinion for this team they're the type of team i could see competing for a wild card i mean you have that division it's a little up in the air with everybody except the marlins you have the nationals who made some moves to getting patrick corbin probably going to lose bryce harper but still be in the mix a little bit and then you have the young teams of the phillies and the braves who look to keep making progress but the mets are a team that i feel like got lost in the shuffle a little bit that, like you said, could surprise people. And I, I certainly see them challenging for a, a playoff spot next year, whether it be a wild card or maybe a division title. Yeah, I could see uh, I could see Jeff McNeil starting at second base and putting Robinson to no at first. And then um, I think the Mets are ready to compete. And, and then we'll, we'll address – we'll talk about those things about baseball next week. But with basketball, talk about those Christmas Day games and the Celtics – Winning a thriller in overtime, and then beating, and then losing out on the Bucks, and then the Lakers just blew the gates out of Golden State. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad those were the only two games I watched on Christmas. I watched the Celtics game and I watched the Lakers game, so I I did get to see little bits and pieces of both of those. I was very excited to see what the Lakers were able to do against the Warriors, and I watched most of the fourth quarter, and that was after LeBron was out, so. I thought they held their own really well. You saw Golden State start to make a little push at the end of the third quarter, but they really did an admirable job holding the lead and not letting the the lead get cut to a manageable number for Golden State. They kept it they kept them at arm's length pretty much the whole time. And a former Celtic uh Rajon Rondo I thought played pretty well. He's always had a knack for the big moments. I don't know how he how he shows up in the everyday games. I know he didn't always do that with the Celtics, but he certainly showed up when the lights were the brightest. And uh, Zubich also. I had never heard of him before, actually, but he played pretty well. Yeah, and, uh, and um, what I'm hearing today is that the Lakers are prepared to miss LeBron for the next several games because of an injury uh, due to his uh, injury on his groin. And then Rondo's going to be out for quite oh, some time with a finger injury. And mm-hmm. um, I also think um, the Lakers aren't a good place right now. But as to be realistic, like we talked about last week, I just don't see them making the playoffs this yet. But I'm going to give them at least one more year to figure this out, and then next year, then they'll they'll go all out and compete. Yeah, definitely. I kind of I see them as potentially a playoff game and playoff team, and maybe I'm skewed by how they performed in the one game I've watched them this season against the Warriors. But they they look like a pretty good team to me, and I agree with you. I think my ceiling for them may end up being a little higher. I know. You're saying you're being realistic. I can see them making the playoffs. I don't see them going too far in the playoffs if they were to make it. But I, I can see them sneaking in just where the West is so wide open. Um, but I guess I got a question for you. Do you think in – I know I heard the announcers talking about it on that game on Christmas Day. Do you see Zubak potentially pushing for a spot in that starting lineup even once the Lakers are healthy? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's worked really hard so far. He's wanting his chance, and I think – um, Zubats is definitely a guy that I think the Lakers are very high on to be their big man in the future. And I really think 
that the way he's been playing, I think it could really make Luke Walton's decision a lot tougher for for the Lakers to make JaVale and Tyson come off the bench and kind of switch those minutes around. But I could also see Zubac getting more bench minutes too once once uh, Zub- once uh, JaVale McGee comes back. Yeah, I think he certainly earned more minutes um, regardless of how it ends up shaking out, whether it be as a bench player or starter. But from what I saw him, I but loved everything. these things are tough, like I said. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly tough news for the Lakers if you say they're prepared to miss LeBron for a few games. And I didn't know that information about Rondo. That that was news to me that he was going to miss some time with, with an injury. I know he missed time with the broken but I hand. I hear what, how the West will end up. I think the Lakers will be in a dogfight with the Jazz and uh, the Pelicans and the Timberwolves for that eight seed because I think Memphis is definitely going to go all out and play well. And San Antonio and Houston will go a lot higher in the West. And uh, I also think Dallas will definitely make a big push for that eight spot. But I, but I think the eight spot's going to be a log jam. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at it, the West is pretty much historically tight. There's been a little bit more separation. The Pelicans have fallen down a little bit. But at the same time, you have the one through 13 teams separated by six and a half games, which is insanely close. And I think you do have some pretty defined teams that are most likely locks for the playoffs and the Warriors and the Nuggets and the Thunder. I think those top three are pretty much locked and seeing what the Nuggets can do, not being fully healthy. It'll be exciting to see what they do once they're healthy. I see the Rockets climbing up as well. James Harden and that team's too talented to sit around seventh or eighth. Uh, the Grizzlies, I agree with you. I think they're just a hard-nosed basketball team that's going to fight for maybe a six or seven seed and give one of those high seeds a run for their money in the first round. And Dallas, I don't know if I say they make the playoffs, but I certainly am excited to see what they're able to do. I think they have a bright young core with Luka Doncic, who's right now the favorite for Rookie of the Year. I know it's early, and Dennis Smith Jr. They've drafted very well lately, um, and they're they're an exciting team, a team that I enjoy watching even if it's not a team that's going to translate into a playoff berth. Yeah, I enjoy watching the Dallas Mavericks, too. They're building this young team around Dirk. But at the same time, I don't think when I'm looking at the Western Conference standings right now, that's not the way I think it's going to shape up. I think it's going to I think Houston and San Antonio are going to be a lot higher than they are right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. San Antonio is a team that I, I just don't know how to read because they're they're the epitome of consistency, always in the playoffs, always a four or five seed and consistently challenging. They they just seem to have a different look to them this year. And I know Kawhi Leonard is gone and that's that's been a a big a big blow to them. I know he didn't want to play there, but DeMar DeRozan has filled in well enough. I I don't see the talent on the team to be a legitimate playoff contender outside of DeMar DeRozan and Lamarcus Aldridge. But at the same time, I know they're coached well enough that I can see them pushing for a seventh or eighth seed just because of who they are. Yeah, that's why I'm not going to predict the final Western Conference standings until like March Mm -hmm. or something, because that's why I don't see this as the final standings. And the way the Lakers are playing right now, they're playing great, but I think they're just not quite there yet as contending, but I would be surprised and happy if they made it back to the playoffs. That would really make my day. But at the same time, the Lakers are just – they just need a little bit more time. I think a superstar away, a shooter away, will get them over the hump. Absolutely. And, and speaking of superstars coming to L.A., what do you think about 
the rumors that it seemed like the Clippers are going to load up to try to get one or two stud free agents next offseason and bring them into the Staples Center. I think that's good for them, but I just don't focus on what the Clippers do this what the Clippers do and what their plans are because um, I don't really follow the Clippers. I don't really like the Clippers that much. Yeah. Um, I like some of their players, but I've just, I've just not been that big of a Clippers fan. And I've went, to, I've been to some Clippers games before, but going to Clipper games are not really my thing. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. I, I try to keep tabs on them a little bit just because they're not a team that I particularly root for, but just players on the team I root for. Avery Bradley was a, a great Celtic in his time here. And also Jerome Robinson, who I got to see play at Boston College last year. First lottery pick in the school's history. So obviously rooting for him. And I know everybody around here is kind of keeping a little bit of tabs on what the Clippers are doing, at least in the Boston College community, just because Jerome is on the team. Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers as well. So certainly some local connections over in Boston for the Clippers. So that's made people keep an eye on this team and, They've actually exceeded my expectations this year at, at 20 and 14. Shy Gilgis Alexander has been a phenomenal rookie. Oh, I like Shy Gilgis Alexander. He's going to be the point guard of the future for the Clippers. Absolutely. And, and Jerome Robinson, they haven't given him really a chance to flourish. I think they went into the season considering being a little bit more of rebuilders and being able to give him and more Boban, time. too. What? And Boban Marvanovic is definitely a guy that, man, could just step on the – to touch the rim on his feet. Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember seeing that uh, that picture at the beginning of the season. That that's crazy. But yeah, they have a good young core on this team, and I mean, you have good supporting talent in Gallinari, Harris, Beverly, and Williams. But I think you have a good young core for the future, especially in the backcourt. I see Gilgis Alexander obviously being the point guard of the future, and I'm pretty confident that Jerome Robinson can be the shooting guard of the future, especially if the team does need to save money by signing big-name free agents in the offseason. Jerome spent some time in the G League, but he is a prolific scorer when he can get into his game and get some rhythm. It's been disrupted a little bit by trips to the G League and back to the NBA, but I think he's going to be a quality NBA player someday. Oh, I could see that. But in the East, I could predict it easily. I think in the end, what the Eastern Conference playoff standings is going to look like, it's going to be Toronto number one, Boston, number two, um, the Philadelphia, the Milwaukee Bucks, three, and then four and five will be the Philadelphia 76ers and the Indiana Pacers. The Pistons will be the sixth seed. The seventh spot, I like Charlotte in that seventh spot. And in the eighth spot, I want to go with Miami. Okay, yeah. I could see that. One that one team I would say to watch out for, and I don't know why I'm saying this other than one of my best friends is a uh, Brooklyn Nets fan. And we've been waiting for years for a Celtics-Nets playoff series again. So I, I'm i hoping that, that the Nets are able to sneak into that eighth seed. And they have some good young talent. The injury to Karis LeVert hurts. But this is the best that this team has played since the trade with the Celtics that set them back half a decade with uh, all the draft picks and everything. So they're still recovering for that, doing a good job. And I think that really that line below the Nets is a pretty defined top nine. It just depends which team's going to finish out of the race. But, I mean, if you look at it, you have a bottom four teams that are clearly out of it. And then you look at the Orlando Magic and the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are just a mess. And the Magic, I think, are still too young. But the Nets are the only team outside of the playoff picture in the East right now that I could see potentially jumping in. 
who they would boot out, I don't know. I would tend to lean toward Miami, but I do agree with you. I like Charlotte. Kemba Walker's kind of developed into that clutch star player on a team that doesn't have much talent around it. And and that can be dangerous uh, when going up against them. Yeah, I think the Charlotte Hornets are definitely going to be in the playoffs. And I think whenever the Charlotte Hornets have the right amount of talent on their team, they are good. They are good. They're a fun team to watch. And I think Miami's still going to make it in there. And I think you want to see Dwayne Wade go out with a playoff victory on his last dance there. But I think the Miami Heat without Dwayne Wade, they got a bright future. Yeah, absolutely. They they're certainly setting themselves up well. I I liked uh, Justice Winslow not as like a star player, but I think he's a good supporting piece on this team. Um, and I mean Hassan Whiteside, I don't know what they're gonna figure out as far as he goes. I know there's been some talk of him, trade rumors and everything, but they Heat won't trade Whiteside though. No, I don't think they will. I know there was some talk in the off season, but I I don't see them doing it because he's a big part of their future. Um, they're, they're an interesting study because they do have the young talent. It just depends if it's all able to come together on that team. And I, I hope it does for them, but I mean, looking at the bottom half of the Eastern playoff picture, you look at the Pistons and you look at the Hornets and the heat. One of those three teams is most likely going to be a team that the Celtics are going to play in the first round. And if I'm Boston, it's a tougher bottom of the East than you've seen lately. I mean, I know in previous years, you're just like, oh, we'll breeze by the first round if you're a one or a two seed. But all those teams have the the makeup to be able to compete with top seeds, whether it be the Pistons with their dynamic front court or Kemba Walker in Charlotte or the magic of Dwayne Wade in the postseason for Miami. Oh, absolutely. And and by the way, let's now preview the week 17 showdowns and also the potential what's going to and who will punch their ticket to the playoffs. Um I, the games I'm looking forward to, is other than the Patriots-Jets game, I'm looking forward to seeing the Rams play the 49ers and also the Tennessee Titans playing the Colts. And I, I already know who I'm picking in the Tennessee Titans and Indianapolis Colts showdown. I'm going with Tennessee in that showdown as, the ten, as I expect the Titans to be back in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I, that's certainly one game that I'm keeping an eye on too, and I think almost everybody is because that's the game that – I think that's the game that means the most this week. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. I I like the Titans. I'm rooting for them, and I, I do want them to win. But I'm just going to tend to lean toward the Colts. They just have a history of beating the Titans lately. I believe it's like 10 in a row or something like that. Andrew Luck is finally fully healthy, and he's returned to being one of the premier quarterbacks in the game. So I'll I'll lean toward Indianapolis in that game, although I would like to see Tennessee win it ultimately and one other game I'm looking forward to is the Browns and the Ravens the Browns obviously eliminated last seat last week but it's the latest they've been eliminated in forever pretty much so a successful season for them overall they're a team that can give the Ravens a run for their money and they're really the only wait till next year when the Cleveland Browns go all out exactly they're they're a very wait till next year type of team but they can put a nice exclamation point on this season and you know the Steelers are going to be big fans of them because they're the Steelers' only hope of getting back into this playoff picture. Yeah, but I think the Ravens will be in the playoffs. I think the Ravens will clinch the AFC North because I don't think the Steelers had that good of a year because too much drama was going on for their team. And um, I, and I'm still like I said before, I do pick the Tennessee Titans to beat the Indianapolis Colts. I think Mariota is going to come back strong and healthy, even though he hurt his elbow last week against the Redskins. Um, I also think um, 
I think the Rams are going to get that first round by. I do think the Chiefs and the Chargers are going to get upset by the Raiders and also by the Denver Broncos mm-hmm. to help the Patriots off of that home field advantage that I really expect to happen. Yeah, I certainly hope that happens. I know I've been, like I said, a little more hesitant to uh, predict that than you, but I would say I, I still think Kansas City's able to win. I liked what I saw from Oakland against Denver this past week, so the Raiders can certainly give the Chiefs a run for their money. But at the same time, I think Kansas City ultimately wins and – Really, I think New England season is just going to come down to the game at Arrowhead if Kansas City is able to beat the Chargers, uh, potentially the Chargers, in the divisional round of the playoffs. But I, I think that's what this season's been building to for New England. They haven't been a good team on the road. They're going to be entering one of the toughest road environments. So I just think how it sets up with a, a trip to Arrowhead with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line is how this season's going to be defined for New England. I just th- I just don't see the Chiefs getting home field advantage. They have lost. They have been struggling. Their defense hasn't been that good. That's why I think Oakland's going to come into Arrowhead ready to play and ready to win. And I think the Denver Broncos are going to beat the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, if I had to pick one. That's what needs to happen if the Patriots, if the Patriots were to get that home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The Chiefs got to lose. And the Chargers got to lose. Yeah, and I mean, the Patriots have certainly put themselves behind the eight ball, and they really have no one to blame but themselves for being in this position. But certainly a lot of AFC West uh, matchups that they're going to be keeping an eye on this week. Yes, for sure. And also, what I think is going to happen in the Houston-Jacksonville game, obviously Houston's going to steamroll that Jaguars team very easily. And I also think with the Lions and Packers game, we've mentioned the Lions a lot during our episodes, and we will for the future episodes about the Detroit Lions. I think the Lions come into Green Bay with a win. You know, I do too. Green Bay has not looked themselves all season, and the Lions could make a good statement win before the season ends. Matt Patricia has done a silently good job turning this team around, and they play in one of the toughest divisions in football, but he's made them a respectable team. And granted, they're, they're not going anywhere this year, but it's a nice way to put an exclamation point on – this season for the future. Kind of similar to what you were saying about the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I would want to see Matt Patricia go out, have end his first year as head coach on a good note. And I and I think the Lions will be even better next year. But a- absolutely an AFC East game that I'm gonna that I would like to talk to Anthony and some of our friends from the Sport Talk team about mm-hmm. is the Bills and Dolphins game. I kind of see the Buffalo Bills getting that win, going six and ten. Because I think the Buffalo Bills didn't play that well against us last week. I think the Buffalo Bills come in, come to play well in their final game as well. Because I think both the Bills and Dolphins are auditioning for next year. Absolutely. And I, I think the Bills certainly have a lot more to be excited about for the future as far as their young quarterback goes. Whereas Miami may be looking to draft one in the coming seasons. I think Ryan Tannehill is still the answer for the remainder of his contract. But we'll... We'll see after that. But I agree with you. I think the Bills come in and and get the victory. I just like what Josh Allen's brought to this team. He's been a dynamic, dual-threat quarterback. And out of all these young quarterbacks, he's made the most with the least. You look at some guys like Baker and Lamar. They were put into pretty good situations versus guys like Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, who were put into pretty poor situations. Allen was put into a pretty poor situation, and he's done a good job with this team. I also think – 
the Dolphins, if if the Dolphins release Ryan Tannehill after the season, like we'll talk about if the Dolphins do release Tannehill during our NFL offseason shows, um, then it would be kind of surprising. I kind of think the Dolphins could use Will Greer to, to take over from, or I kind of see the Dolphins waiting for next year to get a quarterback because I think you still have Brock Osweiler on the roster. I kind of think Adam Gase could give Brock Osweiler a chance to be a starting quarterback since Adam Gase is very familiar with Brock Osweiler since both of them had history together with Denver. And also, um, I think I think it's a wait-and-see approach for what the Dolphins do with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, definitely. And as far as that goes, I think the Dolphins and teams who are slated to pick probably like, I don't know, in the 5-10 to 10 range in the draft this year are the teams that are going to be hurt the most by Justin Herbert's news because unquestionably Justin Herbert and Dwayne Haskins flip the order if you want. We're going to be the top two prospects off the board. Both of them should have been picked in the top 15. But if you look now, whoever's the second quarterback, if you take them at 15, whether it's Will Greer or Daniel Jones or someone like that, it's going to end up being a bit of a bit of a reach for that quarterback. So maybe you see a team like the Dolphins trade back for a quarterback or just address a different need this season. And like you said, wait until next season. Yeah. And then when we, uh, when, when it comes close to the draft, um, you and I will also do on our show is our, our version, our mock drafts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look forward to that in April. I look forward to that in April, but right now uh, that's, I'm focused on the playoffs right now, but I also think that with the Patriots without Josh Gordon, I think, Chris Hogan's going to show that he still could be that man, and I think the Patriots could still find a way to keep him next year because I know this is a contract year for Chris Hogan. Or, But I also think the Patriots could find a way to extend him because I think Chris Hogan could still give this Patriots team value. Philip Dorsett could really show the same way too. Cordell Patterson's a guy I like this year, but I kind of think the Patriots need to, to still go out there in the draft and get a receiver. Yeah, receiver, especially after the Josh Gordon news, is probably one of the biggest needs, I think, for the Patriots. I would say, as far as present needs, obviously we can talk about quarterback all we want with Tom Brady for the future, but as far as present needs in the draft, I say they look at a wide receiver and they look at an edge rusher. One guy I actually consider, I know we'll talk about it more come April, and I actually saw in a Patriots mock draft yesterday, is defensive end from Boston College, Zach Allen, who is one of the the better uh, defensive ends in the nation, I would say. He doesn't come with the national recognition like Clemson or Alabama's players, but he's similar to Harold Landry um, as far as if you're looking for a comparison. Both were edge rushers at Boston College. Both were prolific at getting to the quarterback, and both could go in the first round. Or Landry ended up slipping to the second round with injuries, but I think Allen can fit into a similar mold, and it would certainly be something that the Patriots should keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I, I will, I'll probably do some more film on him to see how good he is, and I'll also include him on my draft board to see if he's good enough for it. But I'll I'll look to see what he does. But I, from what you've been telling me, I'm hearing some good, some pretty good stuff about uh, about Zach Allen. Yeah, and also um, what I think out of the young core of the defensive front, I think could really fill those needs internally. I mean, Derek Rivers is a guy that I really want to see him play more. Um, Dietrich Wise Jr. has had another good year. Um, a young guy that I'm looking forward to the most next year is offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn, who I think could fill the board at right tackle. And um, I thought Juwan Bentley was going to be my defensive rookie of the year, but my clear-cut favorite for the rookie of the year for the Patriots is on defense is J.C. Jackson, who I was so impressed with 
stepping in with the playing time he has. And I think he's already leapfrogged Jason McCourty as that number two corner next to Stephon Gilmore. I agree completely. He's provided a great amount of depth to a position that coming into the season was a position of weakness that you didn't really feel like the Patriots addressed in the draft. I know they picked Duke Dawson, but he's been hurt most of the years, as well as with most of these young guys on the Patriots squad. Um, But at the same time, I think J.C. Jackson played admirably for a player who's an undrafted cornerback out of Maryland. And Maybe the Patriots do just start to have a string of success with these, uh, you know, undrafted cornerbacks. They had Malcolm Butler. See if J.C. Jackson can provide some similar heroics. But he's helped stabilize the opposite side of Stephon Gilmore as far as cornerbacks go for the Pats. Yeah, and also I've heard – I also saw an article about Rob Gronkowski not thinking about retirement. Do you see the Patriots, other than Brady, extending Gronkowski too? I think they'll certainly want to. I don't know what his plans are. I know it's been kind of tumultuous with him, too. And he, he just seems to disappear for long stretches on offense this year, whether it's because teams are double covering him or triple covering him. And maybe he just gets tired of that and goes to the WWE or something, hangs it up. If he hangs it up, I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, I can understand because he's had so many injuries. But I've got to think nobody will fill the void that Gronk had if he retires. But – I'm also not worried about that because I think the Patriots could still extend Julian Edelman. I know they could address tight end. Their other, they have other tight ends to give opportunities, such as Dwayne Allen or Jacob Hollister. They could use the free agent market, or they could also draft a tight end. Yeah, I think, again, that'll be telling kind of similar to Brady and what um, type of quarterback they look at in the draft. If they do draft a tight end, maybe more news is coming on Rob Gronkowski. Uh, but I think that certainly is something that they can address through the draft if need be because tight ends the type of position that you can get a player in the second or third round and still be one of the first tight ends off the board. And like you said, no one is going to ever fill his shoes. He's probably the best tight end in NFL history for my money or at least one of the top two or three. So it's going to be tough to replace him regardless of when he leaves. But uh, hopefully it's not after this season. And also, do you think – the Patriots should give James White more touches? Because I heard Josh McDaniel say that he's not getting the ball enough. I think so. I, I think, think he should. I think the last two or three weeks he's gotten it less so since Rex Burkhead's come back, and I think all the running backs have done well, but I'd love to see them continue to use him as a pass-catching back like they had used in the past, but haven't used it much recently. Yeah, they should use James White more, and I also think... Um, there should be a change at right tackle like we talked about in the past. Um, Adrian Waddle, I think he should have been in right tackle because I think Marcus Cannon is too injury prone. And I'd get Isaiah Wynn back because I think he's going to bring a lot of balance to this offensive line. Trent Brown has had, been, has had a tough first year, um, even though he's big. I get that he could provide size and depth to the Patriots, but he's just not – he's just a guy that hasn't flashed yet because, first of all, he has – gotten too many holding penalties and too many false start penalties yeah oh way too many penalties and that was the big knock on him coming in is that he's athletically gifted as gifted as just about any offensive tackle as far as gifts go but uh physical traits but uh the uh ability the football awareness the penalties have hurt him big time as they did in san francisco all right so to end this um Give me your last thoughts on the NFL and what the Patriots need to do and also talk about the last thoughts of the NBA and the Major League Baseball, and then I'll give you mine as well. Yeah, I would say start off with baseball. My last thoughts there are 
that I think the Red Sox, as far as closers go, like I, I just reiterate what I said. I think Craig Kimbrell, the only way he comes back to the Red Sox is if it's on a three or four year deal sometime in late February, if no one signed him, the Red Sox just giving him a, a shrug deal. Like, yeah, no one else, no one else wanted to give you any money. So uh, we'll, we'll send some your way. And if they can get him for that, I'll be happy. Six years, not so happy just cause I, I don't trust that. And especially for the money you'll be giving him from an NBA thought, the Celtics still aren't quite where I thought they were. I know I predicted last week that they'd come and beat the Bucks at home last Friday. They got blown out of the building and booed off the court. But there, there are flashes of potential. Having and Al they Horford play Houston back. tonight. They, they play Houston tonight. And James Harden. Yeah, they play Houston tonight. I heard he was Harden was questionable, but uh, I hope he's able to play. And I think you're going to see a pretty good uh, scoring battle between Irving and Harden tonight if they're healthy. But my big thought on the Celtics is that Al Horford is just such a key piece on this team. Came back for the Philly game. Only scored four points, but he just makes everyone around him better as far as a facilitator, a rebounder, and just great basketball IQ, great teammate. So he is big for this team going forward. And football, a key to the game for the Patriots is, I, I know we talked about J.C. Jackson. Him and Stephon Gilmore will be players to watch in this game for me because you saw Sam Darnold's prolific arm in the game against Green Bay last week. So they got to keep the Jets off the board, and I think – that that's the way to do it. They're not going to be running the ball too much, as we talked about the first time the Patriots played the Jets. And especially with Sam Darnold back, they're going to be airing it out a little bit. And New England going to try to complete 8-0 at home. I think having home field will help them, and it's going to be a storyline for them going into the postseason, whether they get home field advantage or whether they have to potentially travel to Arrowhead or to Kansas City. I would agree with that, too, for my final thought for the Patriots is I think they just got to go out there play their best football that they have been playing all year, go 8-0 at home. Defense got to find a way to make Sam Donald uncomfortable, whether if it's the rush or if it's the pass defense. Um, I want to see Stephon Gilmore and uh, J.C. Jackson cover double-team Robbie Anderson or Quincy Adunwa or Chris Herndon. Those are the guys that are, are going to be factors to watch for the Jets' offense. And um, and I think you got to – I think the Patriots, they got to they – gotta, Keep passing the ball first when they start the ball, and I think they got to execute better on third down, continue be- continuing improving on that area of need for the Patriots. And also for my final NBA thought, I think the Lakers tonight beat the Kings without Rondo and LeBron. I think they're playing good basketball right now, but it's going to be a matter of time. And also for for my final baseball thought, I think the Dodgers might end up with Marlon. I would expect the Dodgers to end up with Martin Maldonado is because for me, I think he's great defensively. And I think the Dodgers should look for a defensive catcher. And with Maldonado, he could really provide some offense too with his big bat that he could swing and he can hit lefties too. But anyway, um, we'll talk next week. And uh, I look forward to uh, having you in my podcast each week to talk about the NFL and NBA and MLB. Absolutely. Me too.